0: Jesus, the Son of God, is equal to God the Father and is worthy of our worship as God. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Years ago, as a student in Bible college and in seminary, uh, I got frustrated at times, frustrated by my inability to understand everything that is in this book in the scriptures and the Word of God. Can anybody relate to that sometimes you 're reading through it, and you 're just trying to make sense of it and There were things that were just hard to grasp, hard to understand. I got frustrated by that and, uh, and even a little concerned at times I like, go like why can 't I understand this until one day it suddenly dawned on me that If this book is the Word of God, and if God is who this book reveals Him to be, of course there are going to be things that we're just never going to fully grasp or understand, right? And so those things that might have been a stumbling block, my inability to grasp things like the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, all of a sudden the light goes on and says, aha, of course I don't understand and never fully will, right? And it just actually, it uplifted me then and encouraged me and helped to convince me all the more of the truth of this as the Word of God, that, of course, it's going to reveal things about God that are beyond our human ability to fully understand. Now, that doesn't mean it's nonsensical. It just means it's beyond our ability to fully understand. And so today, then, I want us to reflect a little bit on a couple of mysteries in the word of God. I want us to reflect on the glory and the mystery, first off, of the Trinity. How the, the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that there is one God. There is only one God. There is one God, but he eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there is one divine being. There are not three gods. There is one God, one divine being. But within him is three persons, each of whom is truly God. There is one divine essence, but he exists as three distinct persons, one and three. And that is a little hard for us to grasp how that can be, isn't it? But that is how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And then with these persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'd like us then to reflect a little bit then here today on the glory and the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then the Son of God, who is eternal, who is the eternal God. He is truly God, yet he humbled himself He left behind that glory and majesty that he had and has as God and took on. He added human nature to himself. He became one of us. He did not stop being God, but he also then became man, a human being. Human in every way that it means to be human. He had a human body. He had a human mind. He had a human spirit. He had a human will. In everything that it means to be human, he was that, but he was without sin. And he did that so that he could become our representative, our representative, and do for us what we could never do for ourselves, which was to be perfectly obedient to God's righteous law. And then took upon himself the judgment for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. When he took on that human flesh, made like one of us, he did not cease to be God. He is equal to God the Father, but yet he also submits to the authority of the Father. So he is God, yet as a man, he experienced the weaknesses and the limitations of being human. And that's something just just to ponder. So he is God, but as God the Son, he is submissive to the will of the Father. He is God, yet as man, he also knows and he understands our weaknesses and our limitations. He experienced those as a man. So we're continuing then today in our series, Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, We're taking a harmony of the Gospels approach, where we're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and putting them all together to tell the one story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been using this resource here called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur, in which he takes these four Gospel accounts and puts them all together into one flowing chronological narrative. I want to recommend that to you. Uh, it's, It's a wonderful read then for that. Um, also just an, uh, an FYI for you I'd mentioned this before you But somebody had mentioned it again this last week uh, For some very strange reason uh, Sometimes this book is very expensive on Amazon And sometimes it isn't I don't know why that is I checked yesterday And it was like $22 or so you know, Which was a good price for it uh, but sometimes it's been much more than that. But if you go to Christianbook.com, that's consistently the the best, you know, a good price that I've seen for it there. So just an FYI for you on that. Then with that, so if you're interested, that would be a good resource to have. So we're gonna move on then today into a new phase in our series here. Uh, unique. We have seen first how Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Uh, Jesus. Christ, the, the man, Jesus, had a beginning in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, he has no beginning, does he? Uh, we saw that he is the pre-incarnate servant. Before he took on flesh in Bethlehem, he was already serving God's people long before them. We often read of him as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament covenant era. We saw his incarnation and childhood. We saw the account of his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, his early ministry, and then we've been looking at his first year of ministry. Uh, Today, then, now, we're beginning a new section where we're moving into his second year, his second year of earthly ministry. You know, Jesus' earthly ministry was about three and a half years, so this is the second full year, then, of his earthly ministry. And our theme here today is from John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 47, where we see that Jesus, the Son of God, that he is equal with God, and as such, he is worthy. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our honor. So this is our theme statement for today. Jesus, the Son of God, is equal to God the Father, and is worthy of our worship as God. In our text is John chapter five, John chapter five, verses one through 47. Before we read that, though, a little context. Uh, Jesus, he has been ministering in Galilee, but now he has returned to Jerusalem for a feast, a Jewish feast there. And as he goes there, he goes to a place called the Pool of Bethesda, which was a very large complex there that had five roofed colonnades. And there were many sick people and invalids who would gather there hoping to be healed. Now, why? Why would they gather at this particular place hoping to be healed? Well, because we're told something there uh, in the text there that, that there's a note of explanation, that does not appear in the oldest New Testament manuscripts do not contain a verse which is found in later manuscripts that helps to explain why this is, though, which says that the, the, the people believed that at times an angel would come down and stir up the waters in the pool, and then whoever was the first one to go into the pool would be healed. That was the belief, and that's why the people would gather there then. And that verse was added apparently later by a scribe to help explain why the people gathered there. But also in verse 7, though, we see, which does appear in the oldest manuscripts, it seems to reference that belief then among the people. So that's why when we read this text, you wonder, why are all these people doing that? And why does this man say what he says when Jesus asks him? That helps to explain it then. So with that then, let's take a look at the text in John chapter 5, starting with verses 1 through 18. John tells us, Now after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for thirty eight years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be? Healed. And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. You know that phrase, dun-dun-dun, right? I've told you the tax collector where you're saying boo, okay? Whenever you read now, it happened to be a Sabbath, we say what? Dun-dun-dun, right? Why was that such an issue? Well, we're going to find out. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. Somebody's getting into the spirit of it here, right? But Jesus answered them, Get ready for a big dun-dun-dun a dun, dun moment here, Steve, all right? But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself Equal with God. Let's look at the first part of our text here where Jesus heals a lame man on the Sabbath. You know, this man had been lying there for 38 years. Here are all these people. And just imagine, I know some of you, you can relate to this, right? Where you've had a problem, some kind of ailment, and it's been a long, long time. And here is this man, 38 years he has been lying there, hoping to be healed. Wanting to be healed. Well, Jesus sees him. There's a lot of people there, but Jesus singles this man out and comes to him and sees this man. And Jesus knew about his condition. He knew that he had been there for 38 years. How did Jesus know that? Because he's God, right? (laughs) He knew that about this man. And he singles him out and comes up to him and he asks this man a seemingly strange question. He says to him, do you want to be healed? Don't you think that seems like a kind of an odd question? The man's been lying there for 38 years and he says, do you want to be healed? But why do you suppose Jesus asks that? I think we don't know for sure. But I think... Certainly, he wanted to get the man's attention and to, to bring up to say, hey, do you want to be healed? That I'm going to do this. Something amazing is about to happen here, right? But it may also be the case that he wanted to think about that question. Do you want to be healed? Because, and this is a strange thing, isn't it? Where sometimes people can be in a situation and you might, and you might say, do you want to be healed? Do you want help? And, you know, maybe they really don't. We get comfortable sometimes in that situation or condition, don't we? Or maybe we're not willing to do what we might have to do to be taken out of that situation, right? Now, I don't know if that's what the reason was and why Jesus asked that or not. But it's something to think about there. At any rate, it brings the issue up here. And the man explains, well, yes, you know, he does want to be healed, but every, every time he gets up to get into the water, somebody else beats him there first. And this is why I said at the beginning, why I explained there that, that, that verse that does not appear in the oldest manuscripts about an angel stirring up the water, that was probably added later by a scribe to help explain that tradition, why those people were there. And though this man's answer then speaks to that then, doesn't it? So he says, every time I try to get up, somebody else gets into the water before me. But Jesus doesn't need to wait for the water to stir up, does he? And so he instantly heals this man. And then he tells him to get up, take up his bed, and walk. Now, did you notice, though, that Jesus didn't simply say, get up and walk, you're healed. He said what? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Why? He's not going to be laying around on that bed anymore, right? But why else do you think he might have told that man, take up your bed and walk? He knew the Pharisees would be upset for doing that on the Sabbath. Do you think Jesus might have been Poking the Pharisees a little bit here? Absolutely. Because he was not only healing this man as an act of compassion to him, but he knew it was also going to lead to something to which he would reveal more of himself to people, who he he was, that he was God. So what's a good way to do that? do something that's going to anger the Pharisees. Not because it was wrong or sinful, but because it wasn't was Jesus actually breaking the Sabbath law? No, what was he breaking? Their rules, the Pharisees' rules, right? So, I think there's a reason why he told the man, yeah, he didn't just say get up and walk. He said get up and take up your bed, by the way, and walk with it. He knew what he was doing. The text, tells, the text tells us, well, that day happened to be a Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. Isn't it? God commanded that in the Ten Commandments, right? Honor the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. But the religious authorities had added so many rules and regulations then as to what constituted work that they had made the Sabbath a great burden Isn't that just like human beings to do that? To take something that God gives as good and as a gift and to twist it and to make it something a burden instead of something joyful. But that's what they had done. And so now the Pharisees, they see this man carrying his bed, which was against the rules because that counts as work. And they called him out. Violation, you're violating the Sabbath. By the way, do you think it's possible the Pharisees knew this man who had been there and was lame? I mean, after, he'd been there for 38 years. Do you think you might, after 38 years of seeing this man there, know who he is and know that he is lame? And now they see him walking. And is their response to say, wow, wow. What ha- you're healed, praise God. No, their response is what? Hey, you're carrying your bed. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? They were, instead of marveling and rejoicing and giving thanks to God, what are they doing? They're harassing him for supposedly violating the Sabbath. You can't carry your bed today, their hearts were cold and dark. We would never do something like that, would we? We would never over, overlook the glory of God and we, we would be focused on a rule, right? So they asked him who had healed him, but the man did not know that it was Jesus. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Is that interesting? Jesus, of course, knows. He knew. Yes, he was healing his man. He knew what he was doing when he told him to pick up his bed. He knew what was going to happen. And he knew what happened then with the Pharisees confronting him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus seeks him out and finds him in the temple. Now, why do you think the man might have been in the temple? Perhaps worshiping and giving thanks there, right? So he seeks him out in the temple. Why? Because Jesus still had business with him. What was that business? Well, Jesus finds him and he tells the man something curious. He says, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Hmm. Is sickness or disease or is it always because of sin? No, not always. Ultimately, all disease and sickness is ultimately because of sin, right? But just because someone is sick or just because someone has a particular condition or affliction, that's not because of some specific sin that they've committed in their lives, right? But sometimes it may be. It may be related. It may have come about directly as a result of some sinful activity or it may have come on that person as a judgment. So do not misunderstand this. I am not saying, and the scripture is not saying, that every, time, that every person who is sick, it's because of some sin they've committed in their life. That's not true. The Bible makes that clear. But on the other hand, the Bible also speaks of sometimes it may be because of that. In fact, if you doubt me, read uh, James chapter 5 there where it, it's uh, instruction there saying, is any of you sick? If so, what, call for the elders to come and anoint you with oil. And if you have been committed some sin, it will be forgiven. That perhaps this person's sickness is because of sin. But if, not always, Right? So the man went back to the Pharisees and he told them then it was Jesus who had healed him. But are the Pharisees happy then for him and praising God? No. They were more concerned about a violation of their made-up rules. We see here the Sabbath controversy. You see, the Pharisees believed that this man and Jesus, who had done the work, the work, you see, healing someone was work, that they had violated the Sabbath. Now, they had done no such thing. But the Pharisees were too blind to see that. And so the Pharisees looked to persecute Jesus for that. I want you to stay tuned for more on this controversy next week. Steve, practice up your dun-dun-dun, because you're going to get more of it next week, okay? But next week, we're going to take a closer look at this controversy why it was an issue, and reflect though then on the true meaning and purpose of the Sabbath. But for today then, I want us to get back to what is revealed through this about the identity of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that he is equal to God. See, so this little violation here brought Jesus into conflict once again with the Pharisees, by design I'm suggesting at this case in this case by Jesus and it leads then to a profound discourse on the identity of Jesus Christ as the son of God what that means that he's the son of God see the pharisees were already against him for supposedly violating the sabbath but then Jesus said something that absolutely infuriated them and made them want to kill him. He said something in which they realized correctly that Jesus was claiming to be equal to God the Father. How so? Well, remember, the Pharisees were focused on the work of the Sabbath and how, you know, that you're supposed to rest, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they had all kinds of rules and regulations about that. But Jesus says to them, Well, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father is working. I am working. And they wanted to kill him. Why? Why? because they recognized the claim that he was making, that he was making himself equal on the same level with God the Father. See, first, Jesus is claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath. That is, he is the one who commanded the Sabbath, and he, therefore, is the one who can dictate what is and what is not a violation of it. They recognized he was claiming that authority. But here's the other thing, though. What was really infuriating to them is that, again, from the Pharisees' perspective, he said, "My father is working until now, and I am working." What does that mean? Well, the Jewish rabbis rightly taught that God Himself, even God, God works on the Sabbath by His work of sustaining the universe. See, He created all things, and, that, and then on the seventh day, He what? He rested. Right? That is, he ceased from his work. But even so, though, and he gave that command then as a pattern for us to rest from our work. Right? He has created us to need rest, to need a break. But he nevertheless continues to work, even on the Sabbath. And what is that work that he does? He does the work of sustaining the universe. God never stops working, does he? If God stopped working, we would all be in trouble. <laughs> we would pop out of existence if he wasn't sustaining us. So in other words, maybe this makes more sense to us now. Jesus is saying, my father is working, sustaining the universe." And I am working, sustaining the universe. Uh Uh-oh. Now do you see why they were seeking to kill him? Well, my father is working. He's sustaining the universe, and so am I. I am sustaining the universe. (sighs) Who do you think you are? Right? So, starting here then, we have a great discourse on the identity of Christ as the Son of God and how, as the Son, He is equal to God. He is equal to God in essence, in works, in power, in judgment, and in honor. So, as we read on from here, I want us to listen and to see the extraordinary claims Jesus makes about himself. Jesus was a man. Yes, he was. Jesus was a great teacher. Yes, he was. Jesus was a great prophet. Well, yes, he was. Jesus was many things, but you know who else he was and is? God. And so we will see then how he claims equality with God. In his essence, that is in his nature, that he is by nature God, he's divine. In the works that he does, in his power, in his judgment, and in his honor. And just as God the Father is to be honored and worshipped, so too is Jesus the Son to be honored and worshipped. It's powerful stuff. So let's look for it then as we read John Chapter 5, starting in verse 19 through 47, look for those themes. Jesus is equal to God in essence, in works, in power, in judgment, and in honor. So he says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Now he's God, but he submits to the Father, doesn't he? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus, the Son of God, is equal to God the Father. Jesus, we see there, he does the work the Father does. He says, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Wow! Imagine, just imagine any other person, imagine if I said that, if I were to stand up to you and say, oh, you know the work that God does in, in, in all things? I do that too. You'd be looking for another pastor, wouldn't you? <laughs> Imagine anybody else saying these things that Jesus has just said. Put those words in the mouth of any other person. But in the, mouths, the mouth of Jesus. It's true. <laughs> you said it because it's true, right? Whatever God does, oh, I do that too. But wait a minute, it also, but he said the Son can do nothing of his own accord. What does that mean? Well, we said what? He is equal to God. He does the work of God the Father as well. But he what? He submits to the will of the Father. He does not act of his own accord, but he acts in submission to the will of the Father. So Jesus is equal to God the Father. He does the work the Father does, and he raises the dead and gives eternal life to whom he wills. Jesus says, greater works than these will he show him. What are the greater works than any physical healing? That was, that was quite a great work to, to heal this man instantly, right? All these other things Jesus was doing. But he said, you know what? There's something far, far greater than that. You know what that is? Raising the dead And not just raising their bodies He's going to do that But what's he talking about here Raising the dead He's talking about raising the spiritually dead And making them alive And giving them eternal life There's no greater work than that To take a spiritually dead sinner And give him or her new life Eternal life That is a far greater work, isn't it? God the Father does that. Jesus Christ the Son does that. Raises the spiritually dead, gives them eternal life. He has the power to make the spiritually dead come alive. And he sovereignly chooses to give eternal life to whomever he wills. Just imagine if I said that. You know, God raises the dead and gives them life. But you know what? I do that. Too. I raise spiritually dead people, and I decide who I'm going to give eternal life to. It's crazy, right? But not when Jesus says it. Why? Because when He says it, it's true. He also says, that "Jesus, is the Son of God, He will judge all people." Judgment is the prerogative of whom? God. God. So what's Jesus saying? Well, I'm the judge. God the Father has given that to him. The Father has given judgment of all people to the Son, judgment of the wicked and the judgment of the righteous. The judgment of the wicked is what? It's a judgment, it's a punishment for sin. The judgment of the righteous is what? The reward for what we have done. He will also he will raise the bodies of the dead of all ages some to a resurrection of life and others to a resurrection unto judgment. Again, imagine if I said, yes, one day I'm going to raise the bodies of all the ages of all who have died. Blasphemy. But not when Jesus says it, because it's true. And then... He will judge all people. What? He is to be honored just as the Father is honored. Worship. You, you worship God, the Father? You sh- I am to be worshipped in the same way. Wow, wow, I, I'm really out there now, aren't I? Jesus, the Son, is to be honored and worshipped just as the Father is honored and worshipped. Wow. Profound stuff about the, about the identity of Jesus, don't you think? And again, put those words in the mouth of anyone else. It would indeed be blasphemy, wouldn't it? But not in his mouth. Why? Because Jesus has ample witnesses to the truth of what he's saying. Why should we believe Jesus? Why should we take him at his word on all of this? because he has ample witnesses to the truth of it all. You know, it has been said that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And so we have it. Namely, John the Baptist, Jesus' miracles, God the Father, and Scripture. John the Baptist, he was the greatest of the prophets and he testified to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God, as the Son of Man, as the Son of God. Jesus' miracles, he did these things, what? As a testimony to verify all that he was saying and teaching. God the Father, how did God the Father testify to him? Well, through authorizing him to do those miracles, of course, in the scriptures, but also, though, directly, remember it, Jesus' baptism? Jesus was baptized and what? God the Father said, what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And in all, what? The scriptures. The scripture points to him. Who is this all about ultimately? Jesus. The Word of God is all. The written Word of God is ultimately pointing to the living Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. It all points to Him. He fulfilled the prophecies about Him, He did the things that Messiah was prophesied to do. He perfectly embodies the Word of God in Himself. And Jesus says, Moses, if you didn't believe Moses, why would you believe? If you don't believe the scripture, why are you going to believe what I'm saying right now? But if you believe the scripture, then you will see that what? It's pointing to me, Jesus says. The scriptures all point to him. So what? Jesus, the Son of God, is equal to God the Father. And he is worthy, therefore, of our worship as God. He's worthy. What do you want me to do this? He's worthy. He's worthy of what? He's worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our obedience. And he is worthy of our submission our total submission, the turning of our lives over to him. He's worthy of our praise. We can do that when we sing. We can do that in just telling others about him. He's worthy of our faith, our trust in him, and trusting our lives into his care and keeping. He's worthy of obedience. When he's put his finger on something in our lives, he's challenging us. Maybe it's a sin we need to forsake, or maybe it's a step of faith we need to make. He's worthy of our all. He's worthy of our lives, of our total submission to him. Because he's not just a great teacher, an inspirational figure. He is God. Worthy of our all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are indeed worthy of our all. You are worthy of our praise, whether it's through singing it out or sharing this hope with others and proclaiming the glory and the beauty and the majesty of who you are and what you've done. You are worthy of our faith and trusting ourselves to you, putting our confidence in you, Lord. You are worthy of our obedience. Perhaps there is a sin we need to confess and forsake. Perhaps there is a step of obedient faith that we need to take right now. You are worthy of our submission of our entire lives, our entire being, because you are God. You are the son of God. You are to be honored and worshiped in praised. Help us, Lord, now to step forth, to give you the honor, Lord Jesus, that you are due. And it is in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.